there you have an opportunity to do all of that together. You know, we're continuing in our series called The Promises of God. Today I'm going to be talking about the promises of God's grace, the promise of the grace of God. That's what we're talking about today. So to begin, I've got a little quiz for you based on conventional wisdom. It's not hard. Uh, it's just completing three sentences based on conventional wisdom. Here's the first one. There's no such thing as a what? As a free lunch. No such thing as a free lunch. That's what conventional wisdom says, right? Here's another one. If it sounds too good to be true, what's the answer to that? If it sounds, complete the sentence. If it sounds too good to be true, uh, well, it probably is, right? Yeah, probably is. Okay, here's the third one. You, I know all of you are going to get this. This is uh, one of those platitudes that you hear all the time. A lot of people think it's in Scripture. It's not, but here it is. God helps those, finish it up, who help themselves. Yeah, God helps those who helps themselves. Now, let me tell you, I have no idea if this is true for uh, our uh, church family in Kenya or our church family in Mexico, but I can tell you one thing. Uh, we Americans uh, are driven by performance, driven by performance, and we know very little about the grace of God. We know very little about grace. You know, the American work ethic is, that's been instilled in us from the time that we're children uh, says, you know, you get what you pay for and you get what you deserve. That's, that's the American work ethic, right? You get what you pay for and you get what you deserve. You know, and because we have so little concept of, of, of grace, you know, whenever we hear that God is a gracious God, we just don't know what to do with that. You know, when we, when we read in the scripture from like Psalm 86, 15, check it out, it says, but you, oh, uh, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You know, we just don't know what to make of that. What does that mean? That God is compassionate and gracious. What is this whole concept about grace anyway? So what does grace mean? Well, uh, one, one definition, very quick definition is I get what I need and not what I deserve. That's for sure. That's, that's a great uh, definition of God's grace, right? I get what I need and not what I deserve. Here's another, here's an acronym I found uh, about grace. It is this, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, we see, receive the full wealth of God that we don't deserve, right, at the expense of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's what this means. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that God loves being gracious to his people. He loves being gracious to uh, undeserving people, you know, like you and me. You know, God loves to do it. Check this out, Isaiah 30, 16. What does it say? The Lord is eager to what? to be gracious to you. The Lord's eager to be gracious to you. It's his pleasure. He loves to be gracious. You know, this morning, 
I want to talk about three ways, three ways that God's grace makes a difference in your life. You know, I could spend an entire eight-week series simply talking about the grace of God, teaching you all about the different ways that God is gracious and the different levels of grace that God has, the different definitions of the types of grace that God has. But, you know, I don't have that kind of time today, so I'm going to talk about three ways that God makes God's grace makes a difference in your life. Here's the first one. You'll want to jot this down if you've got your notes. Here it is, that the saving grace of God, the saving grace of God, here it is, go ahead and put it up, the saving grace of God erases my guilt. There it is. The saving grace of God does what? It erases my guilt. That's exactly right. Erases my guilt. You know, this is so basic. It's just foundational to the Christian faith, right? That the grace of God, the saving grace of God, erases my guilt. You know, since nobody is perfect... We all have guilt, right? I mean, what does the scripture say? That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've got guilt. We make mistakes. You know, every last one of us. Check this out. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, By the death of Christ, we are what? Say, the, say that out loud. We are set free. We are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God which he gave to us in such large measure. As I said, you know, this is, the, this is basic to who we are as the people of Christ. It's the most basic, fundamental truth of Christianity, that Jesus Christ has already paid for your sins. He did it through his sacrifice on the cross. You know what we have to do, right? We simply accept it. That's what we do. There's no reason to go around in life carrying a bunch of guilt. Do you hear me? There's no reason to go around in life carrying a bunch of guilt. Notice what it said. It says we are set free. We're set free. Well, set free from what, right? Set free from what? Well, we're set free from condemnation. We're set free from guilt. We're set free from worry. And we're set free from the effects of everlasting death. You know, folks, if you think about it, even if there were no heaven, it'd be worth it to become a Christian just simply for the clear conscience, that God would clear your conscience, wipe out your guilt, wipe your conscience clean. There's no reason to live in regret. There's no reason to live in guilt. And folks, that is such incredible news. You know, the saving grace of God erases our guilt. You know, and if, you, if you've experienced that, you know what? You know what real freedom is. You know what real freedom is. If you've experienced that kind of being set free, the saving grace of God erases our guilt. He forgives us. He forgives us. Matter of fact, check this out here, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, for it is by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. You, you should circle that. If you've, got your, if you've got your notes, you need to circle that. It's not of your own doing. It's by the grace of God. We're saved by God's grace through faith. It's not of our own doing, but it's God's gift. 
So there's nothing to boast of since it's not the result of your own efforts. Yeah. You know what this means, right? Here's the point to all of that. Here it is. That salvation is based on God's, put it in, mercy. By God's mercy and not my merit. By God's mercy and not my merit. You know, as I think about it, you know, some people believe in something I think called grace by sincerity or salvation by sincerity. Even though salvation, we just learned that salvation is based on God's mercy and not our merit, right? But some people believe in something called salvation by sincerity. That is, you've heard it before. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, right? Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you, you've heard that before. The problem with that is that you can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong. You know, there, there are people right now who believe that the earth is flat. You know, there's a flat earth society and they sincerely believe it, but you know what? They're sincerely wrong. You know, my wife's grandfather went to his grave believing that our astronauts never landed on the moon. He was a great guy, but he was sincerely wrong when it came to that. You see, you know, it does matter what it is that we believe. And, and also, but most of all, it is simply by God's mercy and not our own merit. So, salvation by sincerity. Here's the next one. It's uh, salvation by subtraction. Salvation by subtraction. I know folks who believe that, you know, if I don't do this and I don't do that, then, then I'll be good enough to go to heaven. You know, it's salvation by subtraction. I don't do, I don't do, I don't do, I don't do. And therefore, maybe God will love me enough and maybe I'll have enough good points, you know, that I'll be good enough to go to heaven. Problem is, that's not how it works either. You know, if that were the case, then everybody in a nursing home would, would uh, qualify as being a Christian. Salvation by subtraction. Here's another one. Salvation by service. Salvation by service. Think about this. You know, if I, uh, uh, people who believe that if, I'm, if I do this good thing, if I do this good thing, if I walk enough little old ladies in tennis shoes across the street, you know, if I, if I help find a lost kid and all of this kind of stuff, if I, if I, if I serve and uh, do something with the food ministry and bring canned goods to the church, well, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, I'll be good enough to be able to go to heaven. Problem is, that's not way salvation works either. It just doesn't work like that, folks. That's not the way salvation works. One more. Some people believe in salvation by comparison. Comparison. That is, you know somebody who claims to be a Christian and you say, hey, I don't need to become a Christian because I'm better than him or I'm better than her. You know, I'm sure you've heard that kind of thing before. Well, you know, he or she claims to be a Christian, and, and look at what they do. And I'm much better than that, so certainly I'm going to be able to go to heaven. Nah, that's not the way it works. Remember, what's the point? Salvation is by God's mercy, right? And not my merit, and not my merit. Listen, you know, it's God himself who's the standard. 
you know, you're not the standard. I'm not the standard. Some people say, you know, gosh, I'm better than, I'm better than that pastor up there at Christ Church. I'm better than John Spade. I'm certainly going to be able to go to heaven now. Well, you might be better than I am, but that's not where salvation is based. It's based on the mercy of God and nothing that I do. I don't even measure up to my own standard, much less God's. So it's by God's grace, by God's mercy, and not my merit. Therefore, I don't have to walk around carrying a bunch of guilt. Do you do that? Do you live your life just carrying around a a truckload of guilt? Every morning when you get up, do you put a backpack of guilt on before you go uh, start your day, before you have breakfast? Let me tell you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. It is, we are, we are saved by faith. By, through grace, by, uh, we are saved by God's grace through faith. And it's not by our own works. We have nothing to boast about. All right. God, the saving grace of God erases my guilt. Then, look what, next, what comes next. The strengthening grace of God does this. It reshapes my life. Check that out. The strengthening grace of God reshapes my life. That is, the strengthening grace of God helps me become the person that I really want to be. And, but most of all, it helps me to become the person that God wants me to be. It reshapes me, folks. Uh, it, this is what's called, it's a fancy word, it's called sanctification. It's called sanctification, where God remakes my life. He remakes it, he reshapes it. You know, here, God loves you just the way you are. I want you to, I want you to know that. He loves you just the way you are. But, but listen to me very carefully. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you just the way you are. And let me tell you, from my life perspective, that's good news. That's really good news. He loves me so just the way I am, but he loves me so much he doesn't want to leave me the way I am. And that's the way it is for you too. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you just the way you are. He doesn't want you to stay that way. In other words, you know what we find in the Old Testament? There is this prophet named Jeremiah. I'm sure you've heard of him, the prophet Jeremiah. Well, in one of the chapters of the book of Jeremiah, he talks about uh, God being the, the potter. You know, the, a potter is uh, one who makes and shapes clay. You know, puts, uh, puts a lump of clay on a potter's wheel, and then the thing spins around, and through the, the masterful work of the potter, shapes that lump of clay into something beautiful, into something useful. Well, in the same way, this is what God does for you. He takes your life. When you give him your life, you're this lump of clay, and God begins to shape you into something useful and something beautiful. But if you say, look, 
I don't need the potter. You know, here it is. You're the, you're the, uh, you're the clay. You're saying, I don't need the potter. I can just jump off the potter's wheel and I can make myself beautiful. I can make myself worthy. I can make myself useful. I can make myself beautiful. If you say that, let me tell you, you're going to blow it. That never works. It never works. God is the master uh, potter. He is the master shaper. And it is his strengthening grace that shapes our life. Check this out. Hebrews 13.9 says, Your spiritual strength comes as a gift from God and not from ceremonial rules. Let me look at it again. Your spiritual strength comes as a gift from God and not from ceremonial rules. Now, the problem that I find is this in Christianity. A lot of people start with a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then as they go along in faith, they revert back to rule-keeping. They start with the relationship and then they revert back to rules. Now, I'm sure you know people like this, I certainly do, who, who came to faith through the grace of Christ, through God's amazing grace, his forgiveness, his saving grace. He's forgiven us, not, he saved us not by anything that we've done, but simply by his mercy. They accept that, they live into it, and then as time goes on, they revert to legalism that we are saved or I must do this, 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 this in order for God to love me, in order for God to accept me, in order for God to save me. They become just as legalistic as the Pharisees that Jesus condemned again and again and again. What's up with that? What's up with that? They didn't become a believer by doing these legalistic things. Why do they think that you have to, you, you can only stay a believer by doing these kind of legalistic things. That's not the way to live a Christian life. Check this out. Colossians 2.6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your life in him. Just as you received him, continue to live your life in him. Yeah, the, the, the way that you become a Christian is the way that you continue to live out your faith. So let me ask you a question, folks. Listen to this. Answer it. Uh, you know, how did you become a Christian? By promising to do good? Well, of course not. By, by promising to be perfect? Well, of course not. That's not how you came to know Christ, by promising to do good and promising to be perfect. So here's the other question. So how do you continue to live the Christian life? By promising to be good? No. By promising to be perfect? No. That's not the way it is. It is through God's grace. You and I live in the grace of God, by letting God's grace come into your life. The, you know, the Bible tells us that we are to grow in grace, to grow in grace. The more you trust in God, the more you let him work through you, the faster you're going to grow. What's the point to all of that? It's just this. Here it is, that all spiritual growth is by what? Say this word out loud one more time, by grace. The point is that the, all the spiritual growth that we have in our life 
is by grace, is by grace. You know, God's saving grace erases my guilt. The strengthening grace of Christ uh, reshapes my life. And here's number three, is that the sustaining grace of God releases my hurt. Yeah, can you say that together? The, God's sustaining grace releases my hurt. The sustaining grace of God releases my hurt. That is, it releases my hurt. It keeps me going when I'm in pain and when I want to give up. You know, Paul in, uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians tells us that he was in pain much of his life. And he prayed over and over and over again for God to remove that pain from his life. And yet, God didn't do just that. In fact, he says in 2 Corinthians 2, 9, he says, here's, the, here's God's answer. God says, look, Paul, my grace is all you need. You need to circle that right there. If you've got your notes, you need to circle it. My grace is all you need. This is what God says. My grace is all you need. For my power is strongest when you are weak. My grace is all you need, God says. For my power is strongest when you are weak. Now, you know, God's saying, I'm going to give you grace Grace is what you need in order to keep on keeping on. Now, Paul didn't get a positive answer to, uh, to, to his prayer that God would take this thorn in the flesh, this pain away from him. God didn't choose to do it. Well, so what does that mean, that we just don't pray about it? Well, of course not. We, sh we should always pay, uh, pray that God will, uh, the desire of our heart, that God would remove our, our pain or whatever it is that we need to uh, resolve our problem. Of course we should. Uh, in fact, uh, Hebrews 4.16 says this, so let's come boldly to the throne of our who? Of our gracious God. There it is again. God's gracious. Let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, for there we'll receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. How about that? We're going to find grace there at the throne of God to help us when we need it most. You know, when you have a problem, when you have a crisis, when you're under stress and under tension and you pray for God's strength in your life, one of two things are going to happen. Number one, either God is going to remove the, the pain or the problem or the, uh, resolve the crisis. You know, he'll remove that. That's his supplying grace. But if he doesn't, but if he doesn't do that, number two, he may leave the pain there in order for you to learn through this experience. Whatever it may be, whether it's the crisis, whether it's the stress, whether it's the tension, whether it's the pain, whether it's the problem, he may leave it there and through his sustaining grace, give you everything you need, just like Paul, to be able to see him through. And you know what? That's exactly what Paul did. It was the sustaining grace of God that saw him through all of the pain that he experienced when he was going through the thorn in the flesh. That's exactly the way it was. 
It was them. And so it is for you too. Either God's going to remove the, the, the pain or he's going to leave it and then teach you that his grace is all you need to see you through. Because it's when we are weakest that God proves himself strong. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about it. We would never learn anything. If, if every time we prayed, God just simply removed our problem. If every time we prayed, God would remove our pain, remove our problem. You know what? We would become self-centered brats. That's what we would become because we would learn absolutely nothing. And the reality is we wouldn't be worshiping God because God is King of kings and Lord of lords and great I am and that God is worthy regardless if he answers any prayer or not. But we would simply be worshiping God because we thought we, we, we would believe that we would have found a genie in a bottle. Every time we pray, God pop up and grant us three wishes. You know, that's the kind of thing you never learn from that. But God loves you. Remember what I said? God loves you just the way you are, but what? God loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you the way that you are. You know, God's grace erases my guilt. His saving grace erases my guilt. You know, uh, he reshapes my life through his strengthening grace, and he relieves my hurt through his sustaining grace. You know, he's going to help you out. God's simply not going to leave you. You know, if you're in the midst of pain right now, God bless you. I am so sorry that you're going through it. Whatever that pain, whatever that problem, whatever that crisis is. And you should pray the desire of your heart that God will take that away. But don't think that if God doesn't take that away, that he's left you, that he's abandoned you, that he's turned a deaf ear to your prayers. That is the furthest from the truth. Listen to me. Listen carefully. He may be leaving it there because he wants to show you just how gracious he truly is for as, as he told Paul, my grace is all you need because when you're weakest, I am strong. There you go. God may be wanting to teach you about how, how he can sustain us through any issue, through any problem, through any crisis in your life. You know, one of the ways here at Christ Church that we partner with the grace of God, you know, we believe that the grace of God uh, is available, that God uses the church to usher his grace in, that we believe that God uses uh, individual believers to usher his grace in and share that grace with you. You know, if you're going through an issue and you've got a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up, and if you're in the Northern Virginia area, let me tell you, we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and we want to offer that to you. It's mon on Monday nights. You'll find it right here at Christ Church. You can check it out on, the, uh, on our website. Uh, folks, 
this is a ministry that, that speaks into the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups you have. If you want one-on-one -on -one, someone to listen to you, someone to pray with you, someone to encourage you during the times that you are in crisis or in pain, God's grace is made available through our Stephen ministry. We have an entire team of fully trained Stephen ministers who will, who will meet with you, who will pray with you, who will encourage you, who will share the grace and love of God with you. Let me tell you, so many people have found that ministry to be so incredibly healing in a way that God shares his amazing grace with you. You know, look here in Hebrews 12, 15 says this. Be careful that none of you have, uh, that none of you fails to respond to the grace of God. For if you do, there can spring up in you a bitter spirit which can poison the lives of many others. You know, folks, if you try to handle the kind of hurt and the pain and the difficulty on your own, it's so easy to fail to respond to God's grace because we may think that because God didn't immediately take the pain away that God's grace is not there. Again, that's not true. The grace of God goes before us. The grace of God surrounds us. The grace of God encourages us. The grace of God will lift you up. And you know what? When you think you can do it on your own, oh, I don't need God, I don't need the grace of God in my life, then what did, what did the Scripture say in Hebrews? Well, that a, that a bitter spirit can raise up within you. And it poisons the people around you. Why? Because you become bitter. And then your bitterness spreads out to others. And it just keeps on spreading. We need to be sure that we're responding to the incredible, sustaining grace of God. And so, you know, folks, here's the point of all this. If you want to receive the grace of God in your life, you know what? Here's what you need to do. Put it up on you. We have to admit that I need it. We're going to put it on the screen. There it is. There's the point. We need to admit that I need it. Admit that I need it. You want the grace of God in your life? Go to God in prayer. Saying, God, you know, I need your grace in my life. I need, the, I need your saving grace. I need your, your uh, sustaining grace. I need your strengthening grace in my life. And so I think I would ask you this. What, which one of those aspects of God's grace do you need most right now? Which one of those aspects of God's grace do you need to admit that you need? If you've never made a profession of faith in Jesus, then you need to admit that you need his saving grace. You know, if, if, if you have come to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and, and you are, have yet to, maybe you've tried to pull yourself off the potter's wheel and you've said, you know what, I, I, I appreciate this, God, but I think I can do some of this on my own. 
and you say, oh, wait a minute, I really need the strengthening grace of God in my life to make me useful, to make me beautiful for the kingdom. Maybe it is that that you're going through hurt or you're going through pain. You already know Christ. You're going through hurt and pain. And you say, you know, God, really what I need is the sustaining grace that you offer. Because I realize that through my prayer, it looks like maybe you're going to be leaving this pain like you left it in Paul's life. You may be leaving it in mine. And so I need to know. I need to experience the overflowing, sustaining grace of Christ in my life because I too want to be able to say with confidence and be a witness saying, God, your grace is all I need. Let the grace of God flow. You can do it when you admit that you need God. Why don't we join our hearts together as we pray this morning? I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. I want you to close your eyes if it's safe for you to do so. Close your eyes and just relax for just a moment. And let's go deeply into the presence of Christ. Let me ask you these questions You know, would you pray a prayer like this as we close and say, God, I know that I need you. I need, first of all, your saving grace in my life in order to to get the guilt out of my life. I'm I'm so tired of, of putting a backpack of guilt on every single morning of my life. I need to let this stuff go. And I know, Lord, that you are the God who erases my guilt. Lord, I want a clear conscience. Please wipe my conscience clean and erase all the guilt that I've been carrying around. Thank you, Lord, for wiping it clean. And Heavenly Father, I know that I know that I need to be set free. And so I need your strengthening grace in my life. There are things in my life that I want to change. There, there are ways, Lord, that I simply want to be different. And I know that I can't do it on my own. I I need your power to be able to make the changes that need to be made. And so, Lord, grant me today your, your strengthening grace. And then would you pray, Lord, I need your sustaining grace. I need your power to keep on keeping on. I'm I'm tired and frustrated. I, I know what the right thing to do is, but I keep doing the wrong thing and I keep feeling like I want to give up. And so I need your sustaining grace to remove the hurt and the pain 
and the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that hold me captive. Lord, may your grace set me free. And so, Father, I want to thank you for the good news of your grace, the gospel. I, I pray that today that many people would experience it in their hearts and in their lives. I pray, Lord, today that many would be opening their hearts to you, Jesus Christ, and inviting you into their life and say yes to you. And I pray all this in the holy and precious name of our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen and amen.